Hello and welcome to the Yoga Magic Podcast, friends. I'm your host, Ashley Sondergaard. Thanks so much for tuning in today, everyone. I'm sitting on my couch right now. I don't normally record from the couch. I have like a little setup in the office, but today just felt like a it felt like a vibe sitting on my little heated pimp mat, got the the portable mic. It is, it's a vibe, and I'm I'm feeling this. <laughs> We're talking about health today, friends. My health journey. And I have been like waiting to share this story for a while, really just to kind of see where it went on a personal level, see what changes were made. And I've heard from a lot of you that, you know, some of the things that I've talked about on Instagram, you know, blood sugar, weight loss after baby, starting to feel energetic again. These are things that you're working with as well. And I'm hoping this episode is helpful to all of you. Before we get into it, just a quick update on one, the Astros, and two, the July book updates for the month. So first and foremost, friends, it is Leo season. This is going to be a Leo. I I love Leos so much. I love the energy of Leo. And I just want to give you guys kind of an overview of like what Leo energy feels like And also the stereotypes around it. And like, if you are a Leo, you have prominent Leo energy in your chart, how you can embrace that. So it is now officially Leo season. It's hot girl summer. It's the end of the summer where we all are just like, it does feel a little extra, right? And like, that's one of the stereotypes of Leo is that it's kind of extra. We're tired. We're like, oh my gosh, we've been doing all the things. We've been going hard. And there's still that energy, that brightness, that exuberance that is left in these final days of summer. And that's how I think about Leo a lot. I think of it as the sun. This is the only sign that is ruled by the sun. Leo is ruled by the sun. So stereotypical Leo often is thought of as like, hey, look at me energy, right? Like that need for attention. That's what you hear, what people will say about Leo. And like, yes, Leo does need to be seen. That's important. But it's really in this magnetic, helpful leadership way that Leo shows up. And where I really started to understand Leo energy is when I looked at the opposite of Leo, which is Aquarius, okay? So when, you, when you're studying signs, it can be really helpful to know that there's opposites, those po- there's polarities. And they have something similar in both of them, and they also have something that is the same. So Leo is the opposite of Aquarius. And both Leo and Aquarius, they love to make the world better, but they do it in very, very different ways. Leo wants to make the world better through creative expression, through leadership roles, through showing others what's possible. When I use the term expander, like showing others what's possible, that's a to-be-magnetic term. That's what Leo is. They are leading the way and showing others like, hey, you can do this too. And they, you know, they want to be seen for that. They want to leave a legacy. Whereas Aquarius on the flip side is helping the world, similar, you know, thinking outside the box, being really creative, but is okay doing it behind the scenes. Doesn't need the accolades like Leo potentially does and is kind of like leading without people necessarily knowing, okay? When I understood that, like when I really started to like look at those two signs, it really clicked for me that Leo is just, again, it's guiding the way. It's showing up so that others can see what is possible. Now, there is a positive and a shadow to every sign that 
positive being again, a creative leader, super brave, very like generous. Leo is so, so generous. I don't think we always think about that. On the flip side, the shadow of Leo is that there is this need to be seen that like really needing the attention, starve for attention, extra maybe to a point where it is distracting. I've talked about this before, but when you look at your children's birth chart, if you have children and you look at their moon, you can understand how they view you as their mother. If you're a mother, I don't have many male listeners, so I haven't talk to the the women in this group. So again, their moon is how they view their mother or you if you're their mother. What's my eldest daughter's moon is in Leo. And I know that she already sees me as sort of that like over the top extra, like just like mom at, at school pickup who's like just a, a bit much. And like, I know that's who I am 100%. So I try to keep that somewhat balanced where I'm not distracting from her world, right? Like trying to get trying to get attention for myself, which like honestly, I'm that sometimes is the the shadow of Venus and Leah where I tend to go. So like this is real. I know that she views me in that way. I try to keep it tempered. So for anyone that has prominent Leo right now, the sun is in Leo. This isn't necessarily like affecting us on a global level, on a on a cultural level. But I do think it's fun to embrace Leo energy in a way that is a lot more positive. Again, it's not that stereotypical version of Leo that we think of. What can you do with this information? Just enjoy life. Enjoy life in these final weeks of summer. Leo, and again, the sun, this is energy. This is joy. This is creativity. This is creating whatever it is to make life what it is, to make it beautiful. Leo is often associated with the fifth house in astrology. And the fifth house is the house of joy. It's the house of play and creative expression. And funnily enough, this is the house of children. And so I just think about this time of the year, this Leo season as that time where you get to play, you get to have fun. You know, we're not as jam-packed with meetings. Like this is kind of historically where the country tends to close down a little. Like there's not quite as much happening at work. And you can get those last few minutes of vacation and you can enjoy your time and you can play. So go for it. Go big. Embrace Leo season. All right, next up, let's talk about books, books that we've been reading this month. I've been hearing from so many of you that you love this part of the show. And I'm so happy that you're, you're learning about what, you know, learning about more book ideas. I love hearing what you're reading. I've gotten some really great suggestions from a number of you. Um, Shout out Jen and Becky who have been giving me updates on what they're reading. Like, thank you guys. This is so much fun to be connected in this, this way. And it like feels a little less lonely when you're just like reading endlessly and you know, your pals are too. So (laughs) Okay, I have been immersed in Throne of Glass, the Throne of Glass series all July. So that's all I'm going to be talking about today, just kind of giving you like an overview of the series and like why I think it's a great read. Let's go back when we did that book episode with my girlfriends a couple months ago, I had been like screaming from the top of my lungs that they need to read Akatar, read The Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Mass. Now I've been doing a lot more research on like her on that author on the series on like who's interested in this and it's very clear that if like you were one of those girlies who read Twilight you read 
let's see, Divergent, you read, I mean, there's so many, like Harry Potter. I mean, like those fantasy young adult series that were huge and you you loved those growing up. Like this is now, like these books are kind of the adult version of that, Akatar especially. Sarah J. Mass is such a skilled writer. She builds worlds. She builds characters that you like genuinely feel like you love and you know, and it's heartbreaking when these are done, when you've read these books. So I read all of the Akatar series that's out so far. She has like three big series, Akatar, Quarter Thrones and Roses, which is the one that's like gotten kind of all the hype more recently. Throne of Glass, which is the one I'm going to talk about today. And then a series called Crescent City. And I think there's two to three books out. I can't remember. I haven't started on that one yet. That one is like more complicated. And frankly, like my brain space doesn't have it at the moment. So I went for the the young adult series, which is Throne of Glass. Now, I'm kind of surprised that this is young adult. Well, that's not true. It's young adult, but like it's really complex in a way that like I don't know that I would have appreciated it as a young adult, but the it's not smutty, which a lot of people think it's going to be. It's actually really not. Maybe in the last book, it's it's getting a little bit smuttier, but like it's not like Court of Thrones and Roses, which has a decent amount of smut. But it is so it like I don't know. I don't even know how to give it words right now. There's so much appreciation for the characters in this series that you genuinely feel like you have these new friends. And if anything that Sarah J. Mass does is amazing, it's building these relationships with these characters. So Throne of Glass is built around this character, Selena, who is an assassin. And she's very much in survival mode. She's learned to make her way through the world. And in the first book, she is taken out of this like prison by a prince and a captain of the guard. And they help her to become, they like, they build her up in this, this kingdom. And they, she gets, gains her strength back and she becomes this like warrior that she is. Throughout the series, you find out more and more about Selena, who she actually is, like her ties, her her power. She, I mean, it's truly amazing. And something that I love so much about Sarah J. Mass is that like on a love interest side, she starts off a series with like, this is who the love interest is. And then it totally changes. And I feel like that's real life. Like that is real life so you know you have different love interests you meet people and you change your mind and it's just and she does that with a lot of characters so I don't want to give too much of this away but Throne of Glass is amazing highly recommend now this series is long there's like how many books seven or eight there is if you go on TikTok find where they suggest the order to read these books in because there is like a prequel that is best to be read after book like three or four because it introduces some characters that are going to come back later. I, you can read it before you read any of the other ones, but I don't think it's as impactful. You don't really know Selena until, you know, you've read a few of the books and like it goes back and revisits her upbringing. And so like, I think reading the prequel, it's called Assassin's Blade at like after three or four is helpful. Again, TikTok has an order. Additionally, the second to last two books. So there's like one book at the very end called Kingdom Ash, the two books before that. They suggest like TikTok suggests to read them at the same time 
time. So that's actually what I'm on right now is to read these two books at the same time. Now they're like huge. So this is taking forever, but there's an order. There's like a, there's like a specific order to read the books in. And I'm going to link that up in the show notes. If you guys want to do this, if you want to do the throne of glass tandem read, it's really fun. And it's like you have these little snippets of stories that connect because they're happening simultaneously. The two books happen at the same time. So you're not really missing anything. And why people do this is because one of the books ends on this like huge cliffhanger. And then you have to read a whole nother book. You have to read Tower of Dawn and you're like hanging on this cliffhanger and you don't find what happens after an entire book. So that's why they say read them two together. Anyways, Throne of Glass, update on that. Hopefully by next month I will have finished everything and I can give you like the full take. But so far, five stars, Sarah J. Mass, the queen. And again, if you liked like those fantasy YA novels growing up, this is your time to enjoy it as an adult. All right, friends, let's get to the conversation at hand. So I wanted to talk about this journey for a long time. One, because I think it's really important for us to advocate for our health. And, you know, if I can cheerlead that for you, yes, please. And two, I believe that, you know, a lot of us think that we're doing a really good job. Like we feel like, yeah, we're doing it. We're moving our bodies. We're eating healthy. And still there are just some things that can impact our health and we might not even know it. And that doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. Again, it goes back to just like, advocating for your health, taking some time to like ask your doctor for some labs and listen to like the fact that, you know, you've been feeling low energy lately and you want to figure that out. I am a super active mom of three. I'm a fitness professional. I'm a health and wellness podcaster. And about nine months ago, I was diagnosed with pre-diabetes. Like I was shocked. I was, felt really shameful about this because again, I, I felt like I was doing all the right things. And I want to talk about this journey. Now, a quick, quick note and update. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medicine professional, medical professional. I am a health coach. And as a health coach, we do not give any medical advice. We do not give any you know, meal plans. Or we don't tell you what to do. You make those decisions for yourself. But today, I want to share my story in hopes that potentially... This is something that sparks you to listen to your body and and dive a little bit deeper into what you've been noticing. If in fact, like low energy, um, you know, those crashes, anything like that are starting to, you're noticing those as well. So let's talk about prediabetes, how sugar has impacted my life, the changes that I've made, all the discoveries and really kind of how long this took. So it's funny because about a year ago, I was listening to a podcast that's Jenna, on Jenna Kutcher's podcast. And she was talking about literally what I'm talking about right now. She had discovered, well, one, she wanted to set out on this goal of like being really energetic, like feeling good again, right? Not weight loss, not anything. I was just like feeling great. And she worked with a dietitian and pulled some labs and discovered that she was insulin resistant. And I didn't know what that meant at that time. I've kind of heard that because I have PCOS. So I was like, okay, well, maybe those like I maybe that's something I have. But I started to like think about her journey through insulin resistance. And I'll talk about what that is in a moment. And I realized I was like, oh, I, maybe this is something that I'm this is exactly what I'm experiencing. I need to reach out to my doctor, get some labs, figure this out. So I'm gonna go back to my postpartum journey with Rory. This was almost five years ago. 
that was when I started to notice this like low energy skin issues, like acne starting to flare up, major mood swings. Like I was not feeling good. And I just kind of attributed it to postpartum. I worked with a number of different practitioners and like no one really gave me any answers on what was going on. So then I started working with an integrative medicine doctor who I've talked about a million times and full disclosure, friends, this is like news and updates. I do work for this clinic now and I can't wait to share more about that. But full disclosure, I do work for them. At the time, I did not. I'm not selling anything. I just want you to know like this is the path. So integrative medicine is the combination of like more traditional allopathic methods and being able to combine, you know, things like herbs and acupuncture and sort of like those non-traditional ways of healing. And I started working with Dr. Cassie at, at Minneapolis Integrative Medicine. And she helped me discover a number of things. First and foremost, that I had this like gut imbalance, that I had candida overgrowth, likely from a number of rounds of antibiotics that I had from mastitis being postpartum. And it had like the antibiotics had gotten rid of all of the good um, bacteria and yeast had grown over and that was causing a lot of my tummy issues, the skin problems. So I had to go on a very strict candida protocol. It took a long time. Like it took, this was COVID. So like I had some of the time to do this at home. I was cooking at home, but it was hard. I like really hard. I couldn't eat any sugar. I couldn't drink wine. Like it was like, no, or, you know, it was tough, but it took a while and I got extremely better. My skin started to clear up. I've talked about this many times in the show. So like it took time. It was not a quick fix. Secondly, we were able to figure out some hormone imbalance issues. And this is where like the PCOS conversation started to come in. Now, again, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to give you information about PCOS other than my own experience and that like it is somewhat of a spectrum and there's lots of indications that someone might have PCOS. For me, it had a lot to do with like my actual hormones, my skin issues, and we were able to bring that into check through supplementation, through some behavioral changes. Now, what happens often with PCOS and just with women at this stage of life is that insulin resistance can start to creep up. Now, what is insulin resistance? Insulin resistance is when your body is so used to those blood sugar spikes that insulin is unable to do the work that it does or like it gets like less impactful. So if I have like a piece of toast, my blood sugar will spike up and like insulin will go ahead and attack that. I mean, that's not the right word for it, but like insulin will be produced in the body in order to get that blood sugar to come down. That's why you feel those crashes. Well, over time with all those spikes, insulin becomes less able to do its work. We become resistant to insulin to bring down the blood sugar. And so over time, the body is just like in this high glucose state. And that is really, really hard on the body for a lot of reasons. It can cause things in the future and it can lead to that, again, type 2 diabetes. And that's where this prediabetes information comes from. So insulin resistance can go hand in hand with PCOS, but you might have insulin resistance you know, regardless, a lot of people don't, you know, this isn't something that like everybody has, please know that. Um, for me, if I'm being completely honest, I was eating a lot of sugar and carbs the majority of my life. Like I was a vegetarian until I was in my late twenties from like 16 to about 30. And 
would just like supplement or not even supplement, replace good proteins for things like carbs, right? Like things that I would think were a healthier version. Like I would tell myself that they were, but they were not. It ended up being carb sugar central. I have now learned a lot about how to be a healthy vegetarian. I'm not a vegetarian, but it's something that like I know a lot more about, but I wasn't eating a really balanced way throughout my entire life. And so this, I think, just caught up with me over time. Okay, so I started working with Dr. Cassie. We discovered that gut imbalance, the hormone imbalance. And over, you know, about a year and a half, I started to feel really, really good. My digestion became normal. I noticed my energy coming back. My skin got better. And then I got pregnant with the twins and hormones, pregnancy hormones with two babies is a lot. It was very hard on the body, but... Even after my pregnancy loss, I bounced back pretty quick. I felt like, okay, my body is coming back. It's healing. Mental health, another story. But, you know, it's this like journey back. And I started to feel pretty good about six months later. I was like, wow, body, like good for you. You bounced back. You did this. And then I got pregnant with Stella. And this is when things really made a big shift. I felt awful during that pregnancy. So much inflammation in my body, so many mood swings, and just like most alarming, my blood sugar was really high. And I wouldn't have even thought to have like checked it other than I failed my glucose test. I kept failing these tests and I didn't get, I didn't feel like the very last one where they say you have gestational diabetes, but I'm like, what? What is this? These numbers are astronomically high. So I started to prick my finger. I was advised by my doctor just to prick my finger in the morning to get a fasting blood sugar to see like what what that looks like. Fasting blood sugar can give you a lot of information about just like what is, you know, where are we at in a blood sugar range? And it was really high. You really want it to be in that like 80, 90 range out of fasting. So it's like first thing in the morning. And mine was well over 100, 110 some mornings. And that was alarming. I hadn't really realized like, wow, this is really creeping up. I thought I was eating really healthy. I was doing all the things. Now, gestational diabetes, everyone, is different. That's when you're pregnant. And that is caused by something with the uh, with the placenta. Like there is a reason why people have gestational diabetes. But what I've also learned through this process is that you can also have pre-diabetes and pregnancy will kind of push it up to the forefront as many <laughs> illnesses can happen with pregnancy. Pregnancy is like doing everything that it can to keep baby safe that like it doesn't have time to kind of combat some of these other things that might be happening in the body. So that's how I discovered like, oh, blood sugar is something that like I am struggling with and I didn't make any changes at the time like I tried to really just like eat really well it really balanced like get the carbs and the proteins that I needed but I didn't make any drastic changes while pregnant because frankly like we were just doing the most doing whatever we could Stella was still breech at the time and we needed to get her flipped and I was just like okay let's just get through this so after I had Stella I went back to my integrative medicine doctor and I just said like I think my blood sugar is off I feel like it's really high. I'm noticing that with these um, finger pricks in the morning. I can feel it crashing after I eat food in the morning. Like I can feel my energy is just plummet. Can we just check this? And again, advocating for your health, whether it be with someone like an integrative medicine doctor or your your general practitioner, say like, hey, can we pull an A1C lab? Like, is that something we can do? Is is not you know, I really highly recommend if you feel like something is a little bit off, what's the worst you can do? Just ask, right? 
So I said, let's, can we check that? And we did. We checked hemoglobin A1C, which is really like a cumulative marker for blood sugar. And it's, it's a great, it's a great blood draw to understand like where your blood sugar at is at again on like over a few months range. For me, it was really high. Like it was just in the beginning, like kind of really like first stages, like certain number ranges in the pre-diabetic range. And again, I was like, what? I, I was shocked. I'm like, I work out. I teach yoga. Like I talk about health and wellness all the time. Do I always do the right things? No. (laughs) And so I knew like, wow, this is like big. And there's something that I, you know, I need to make some changes here. Now, I should note that like with Stella, I did gain a lot of weight and the weight on my body, like I knew it would come off postpartum, but like I was holding a lot of extra weight, not just like baby weight and water, but like extra weight. I'd gained about 60 pounds. I'm five feet tall. And so like my normal weight range is somewhere between like 115, 120 pounds. And like this was a lot of extra weight for me. And that does contribute to things like prediabetes. So it was like, okay, like let's make some changes here. I knew that I needed to make this a part of my postpartum journey. And that when I looked into blood sugar and made some changes that like this would all kind of start to come together. But this, this A1C number and this pre-diabetic you know, range was just really alarming. And from my work in health coaching, from my schooling and from hearing from other people as well, like this is often what people feel like kind of being like shocked that this is something that they're experiencing. Now, a very large portion of our population has prediabetes or type 2 diabetes. Like this is something many of us are struggling with. So if you're listening to this right now and you're like, huh, I want to prevent this in the future, like, yes, go ahead. Like, please do because the the diabetic conversation, the type 2 diabetes, like this is something I think we're going to be hearing about more and more and more and we can combat it really early in life in order to not get to that type 2 diabetes range later in life. We can do things now that will prevent us from getting there. And I think, you know, they're really pretty intuitive. They're not easy, but they are intuitive. I'm going to talk about how we got there. Okay, so what did I do? So first, I got prescribed a continuous glucose monitor. I love CGMs. I've probably you probably seen me wear them on Instagram like I love having that continuous um, connection to the body in terms of like where is my blood sugar you do need to have a prescription to get one Um, you can I guess that's not true you can buy one out of pocket but like in my case I needed a prescription and it's still kind of expensive Um, and I want to disclaim this that I learned I learned this from a listener actually that because CGMs are so popular right now they are running out of supplies for people that are diabetic, type 2, type 1 diabetics. And so CGMs are not for everyone. For me, I was prescribed like three months to do some studying of my blood sugar. And then after that, I was like, okay, I'll just use my finger prick to keep things at bay. So they're a great tool. But again, know that like our health system is often you know, impacted by trends. And when things get super trendy, like CGMs, um, there's some other things right now that are really trendy that are like changing the course of like supplies for people that really need it. So disclaimer on that. But I really did learn a lot from my CGM experience. I learned what foods spiked my blood sugar and what foods did not. Surprisingly for me, like 
what was kind of the worst? Like rice, whoa, totally spiked it. Um, potatoes spiked it a lot, but like fruit, not so much. At red wine, I was still drinking wine at the time, like did not at all. I was kind of surprised by that. Um, it just helped me understand like, okay, these foods spike my blood sugar and these don't. The other thing that it helped me learn is that certain foods, like if I eat protein before I eat a starch, can dramatically impact the spike. The food order, like the goal for food order is that you eat your greens first, you eat your protein second, and then you eat your carbs. And what that does is like you've got the digestion, like your your body's starting to digest these things, but not the carbs first. So that blood sugar doesn't come up so fast right away. It's a little bit slower. And that's why they say like, if you're gonna have dessert, like have it with a meal, like have your dessert with a meal or like have some wine with a meal versus like just having it on an empty stomach. So I learned so much about my personal reactions to foods. What CGMs and what studying blood sugar and studying what impacts your blood sugar really tells us is that we are all are all extremely individualized. I mean, that's so true of so many things in health. We are bio-individualized. And just because one person says, you know, bread spikes their blood sugar, that might not be true for you, right? Some people have different ways of reacting. And so again, doing a little studying, observing what spikes your blood sugar can be so helpful. If you're curious and you want to just do this on like a really um, cost-effective way and not get into CGM land just yet, you can just buy a glucose monitor like at CVS or on Amazon and take your blood sugar before you eat or like right before you eat and then two hours later, maybe three hours later and just see like what has happened. Has it come up? And then when does it level out? Um, I'll link a couple resources for this in the show notes. Again, I am not a medical expert, but it is something that like it's really cost effective just to look at your blood sugar and understand like what foods impact you. Another thing that I did, um, so first and foremost, CGM for a few months, food order. And then third, I was not restrictive with my diet, like as I was learning to heal my body, I was just eating a lot more protein. So I started pairing protein with everything. So in the morning I would have two or three eggs, maybe like two eggs and some egg whites instead of just like a piece of toast and some fruit like I might have had in the past. Now I was having like eggs and a piece of toast or like eggs and some chicken sausage and a piece of toast. And that changed the day. Like I noticed my energy coming up. I would have um, smooth. I still do this. I'll have smoothies for lunch with lots of protein powder, some greens, a little bit of fruit. But like it's so satiating and lots of protein. And I didn't feel like I needed to grab those carbs as much. Dinner's where it gets a little mucky for me. It still does. Like we just kind of eat what we can, but I still know I'm going to put protein first. I'm going to eat some greens. I'm going to eat some protein. Even if it's like, I'm going to have like a a meat stick from Costco before I'm going to have a salad, like great. Um, Or rather before like a carb. So I have a salad, have a little bit of a meat stick and then, and then some sort of carb. But like bringing that protein into the conversation was something I hadn't been doing and was a really easy shift. And what I noticed is that like, I wasn't being restrictive at all with my food, but I felt so much more satiated. Did I still reach for the dessert sometimes? Yeah, I brought it down a lot just because like I wasn't hungry for it, but I also like didn't restrict myself and I still don't. I have lots of like dessert if needed, have like a little bit of dark chocolate on hand if I need just that like bite of something sweet and I still feel really full. I don't feel that restriction and I have never done well on diets I don't, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, diet culture, but like 
for me, this was about releasing that extra weight that I had carried during pregnancy and then also bringing this blood sugar down to a more reasonable rate. But I couldn't do it in a way where someone was saying you have to cut things like it just wasn't going to happen. And it worked. I didn't feel restricted. I started resistance training in a, in a much more like let's say formal way. I started to lift heavier. I lifted two to three times a week. And this was again, like once I got clear from my doctor, my, um, my PT, cause I have the, where your muscles separate in your tummy. So I want to do it in a really safe way, but I started to like really lift, lift a lot heavier. And what we know when you're building that lean muscle mass, that's another contributor in that overall health in, in reducing fat in in stabilizing blood sugar and keeping the body in this like this state of balance, state of of health. And what I was doing before was that I was doing a ton of like cardio, mostly yoga, like walking and that kind of stuff and wasn't really resistance training. And so by adding in resistance training, bringing that balance, bringing that harmony in as well. Another thing that I added in. So you're, you're noticing like I'm adding things and I'm not adding, I'm not taking stuff out is that I would be really active and move my body after I ate. So anytime that I ate food, I would try to walk around, um, maybe go for a walk outside or just like play with the kids, just like move my body rather than just sitting down because that can help that blood sugar spike stabilize a little bit more. It won't be so dramatic, simple, just moving the body after eating. Apple cider vinegar. This was a really interesting tool, something I learned from my doctor. Um, the glucose cot has, has talked about this as well. A number of, of people that in, you know, in the glucose space understand this is that like apple cider vinegar, for whatever reason, if you have just a little bit before a meal, it can help regulate that blood sugar and not spike it so much. So I'd have like a teaspoon, a couple of teaspoons in a big glass of water before I ate. And I still do this, not all the time, um, but every once in a while before I eat to keep, if I know I'm going to have like a really high carb meal have it before and it would again it would reduce that spike keep it a little bit more stable I did get some supplements from my doctor and again I won't necessarily touch on supplements because that is something you'd want to work with a practitioner um, but that helped as well supplements that again just helped with blood sugar um, some multivitamins some things that we're looking at like my blood work to help impact that and then finally I started working with a health coach I worked with Marwa who I've had on the show before to help identify just like those small next steps that made all of these things that I was doing more attainable so I didn't have to like bite everything off at once I could just say, okay, this week I'm going to lift a little bit heavier. That's my goal for the week. Or this week I'm going to make sure that I have apple cider vinegar before three out of four days in my meals. Or this week I'm going to like hit a protein goal of like X grams in a day. You know, simple, simple little things that felt like attainable. There's something that I could do. And they were making a really big difference in my health. And someone was just there to kind of hold my hand. I came up with the goals, but she was there to say like, yeah, you're doing it. And that's again, why I love health coaching and why I am one now as well. So that's the things that I did to bring this back down. When I went back in to get this these this blood work, my hemoglobin A1C looked at again. It had dropped from 5.6% in November to 5.3 in March and it back down to a normal range. Still a little bit high and something I'll continue to work on, but not in that pre-diabetic range anymore. And that felt so good. So that is the journey to getting better, um, but it is still a journey, and it's something that I'm going to have to think about a lot over time, just, again, reducing some of those choices that I thought were healthy in the past 
And knowing now what I know about my personal makeup and the need for more protein, more resistance training, less sugar, less carbs, that I can I can live in a way that I feel just like really, really proud of that I made this discovery and I made this change. But it, it is going to be something that I'll have to think about. And, you know, cognizant of, of weight, of proteins, again, of building strength, that I will always have that in the back of my mind. But I don't feel shame about it anymore. I feel really proud that I was able to reverse this so early on versus getting to that point later where it would have been a lot harder. So I wanted to offer up a couple ideas for some favorite high protein snacks. If you're someone who's like, again, interested in like adding more protein, maybe isn't thinking about blood sugar, but just like knowing that blood sugar can be impacted in these sort of like simple ways. Protein first is going to be one of the best ways to keep this in check. So a couple high protein snacks that I love. I love like Greek yogurt, throwing a little bit of toppings on it, whether that be like cacao nibs or some fruit. Um, I love, again, I talked about meat sticks. Like we get them from Costco. I like the chomps ones. And there's other, these like little mini ones that are really good. You can get them on Thrive Market. They have turkey meat sticks too. A handful of nuts, like not a ton, but just like a handful of nuts makes a big difference. Almonds, cashews. We always have those on hand. Cottage cheese, um, always, always like well belly, um, that one's that's what it's called but having like high quality dairy cottage cheese specifically to eat like before I'm going to have some sort of carb just helps kind of keep that in balance hard-boiled eggs we always have those on hand just to grab if I'm noticing like I'm hungry but again I want to keep that really stable that blood sugar really stable um more recently I grabbed the organ protein drinks from Costco they're like those like protein drinks that you keep in the fridge. I don't love protein drinks, but sometimes that's like all I can do if I'm on the run and I need to eat or I know that like I'm going to be somewhere where I they don't have protein available and I need to make sure that I have that so that I don't spike my blood sugar so much. I'll just like grab a protein drink on the way out and I'll be good to go. Things like kids birthday parties, you guys like this is tough. It's like, okay, all they have is pizza for lunch. I'll like make a smoothie in advance and eat that and try to have that and like still maybe have a piece of pizza, but like have a smoothie first and then maybe, maybe have a piece of cake. But like sometimes it has, you just have to think ahead a little bit about what the day holds to bring in more protein right at the top of the day or of the meal rather. There are a couple people that I've learned a lot from in this experience. Um, The glucose goddess who I've talked about before, She's been a great resource. Um, Organic Olivia has almost been through like the same journey that I've been through with blood sugar. Again, really thought she was eating really well, but learned through time that like she was also insulin resistant. Her hemoglobin A1C was really high, but she was able to reverse it. So she's another great resource. She is an herbalist um, and has some specific herbs for this. But I think just like hearing other people's stories about it is helpful. And as like I mentioned, Jenna Kutcher as well. Um, and through her process of discovering how her blood sugar was impacting her, working with a dietitian, she she ended up losing quite a bit of weight as well and has really just like changed her health completely. So three people that inspired me, um, if you're curious to learn a little bit more. And, you know, what's so cool about this whole thing and again, why I wanted to share is that it inspired me to become a health coach. It was really just this like, I don't know, like it, I do feel like it was meant to happen the way it did because this is exactly where I wanted to land. Like I love talking about astrology. I love talking about health and wellness. I love teaching yoga. And now I get to bring some of these really interesting modalities together when I'm working with people. And 
let them do the leading. I get to help inspire them and come up with ideas, but like they're the ones who are going to make the changes. And in the past when I'd been doing some coaching and some teaching, like I didn't have necessarily have the tools in order to make that relationship really successful. And now I do. And I'm so happy that this is what happened is over time, I've decided to become a health coach. Marwa was so inspirational. This whole experience really was. And now I'm, I'm excited to share that with others. So it is, it's a full circle moment. Again, I don't want this to be a sales journey by any means. Like I'm not selling you on anything. Um, but I highly recommend working with a, with a health coach if you're thinking about changing something in your life as it relates to your health because having that guidance and having that accountability and just like someone who can keep you feeling motivated is is like unmatched right it's it's so much more impactful than someone just telling you you have to do this getting a diagnosis and them saying yep you got to cut out all your sugar like that's not always reasonable that doesn't always work and so having someone be there with you through the process to help you make the choices that are best for you little bite-sized portions at a time is is really amazing and so that's why I decided to become a health coach and that's why I'm, I'm excited to do more of this work if you want to learn more I'm going to put my link to the waiting list to work together in the show notes again not a sales pitch but just if it sounds inspirational to you at all I'd love to work together Okay, that was kind of a a long little dump still sitting on the couch. I hope that you found this helpful. Again, I'm not a doctor, but I want this story to be out there because I learned so much through the process and I hope that it inspires you. Advocate for your health, listen to your body, and don't be afraid to do some of the digging, do some of the work to feel better. You don't need to settle with low energy. You don't need to settle with feeling like, I used to feel so much better before. What changed? Like you can make those changes now. All right, my friends, thanks for being a part of this community. If you learned something from this episode, shoot me a note on Instagram, maybe, you know, write a little review. I love those reviews, friends. Lately, they are, they're not my favorite reviews. (laughs) So if you have anything positive to say, I would be so, so, so grateful. And I will catch up with you next week, everyone. Thanks so much. 